Hey everybody, welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suttress here, a great double feature for you today. Two panels from Terrificon that are interlinked because of the people on the panels. A great look at Marvel Cosmic, an astronomy class, if you will. And that means it's time for another edition of Word Balloon 101. That's right, everybody's back to school. We're in the groove of classes again as I mill around these hallways. We're going to the observatory now to uh, take a look at the stars and the cosmic world from a Marvel point of view because uh, two great panels happened at Terrificon. Amazing conversations. Very excited to share them with you on today's Word Balloon. First up, a look at the Infinity Gauntlet by the team behind the book, the great Jim Starlin. An incredible conversation with Jim. Also, Ron Lim. Ron Lim, the guy who took over for George Perez pretty quickly as the original... Infinity Gauntlet series went underway, and then, of course, the subsequent series, Ron was the go-to artist. And the man who had to make George Perez and Ron Lynn look the same, that's Inker Joe Rubenstein, a great unsung hero of Marvel's history, and DC's for that matter. We've had Joe on before to talk about uh, Ohatmu, the official Marvel handbook of the Marvel Universe, or the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. I'm, oh, I'm getting Ohatmu wrong as far as what the anagram stands for. And we, we get into not only what Joe was able to do to uh, match Ron Lim and George Perez's uh, style, but also uh, things about, like, the Krusty Bunkers. Do you know who the Krusty Bunkers are? You will when you hear the panel. Uh, so that's part one. And then a continuation of the conversation with Jim, because the following morning I had him and Roy Thomas talk about the history of Marvel Cosmic. And that really got into some very interesting behind-the-scenes things. Did you know Jim was fired from Iron Man? And uh, they do that story of why. And, of course, you know, that's where Thanos was born, was on Iron Man with uh, Jim Starlin and Steve Gerber. But uh, lots of really interesting stuff. Of course, the Infinity Gauntlet story led to uh, the Marvel movie Infinity War. For you newbies out there, you should go back and read the original story. It's pretty cool. And, uh, no, it's really just great, interesting nuggets of Marvel history from uh, a bunch of guys that actually lived it. So first up again, Jim Starlin, Ron Lim, and Joe Rubenstein talking the Infinity Gauntlet. Then in part two, it's Jim Starlin and Roy Thomas talking about the history of Marvel Cosmic. All on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, League, for your support. Uh, we're at the beginning of the month, and uh, really it helps to uh, get to the next conventions. New York is coming up in a couple weeks. I will be there. Uh, if you're in the New York area, I hope I meet you at the con. Give me a chance to thank you for listening to Word Balloon and supporting Word Balloon over the years. Uh, it's a big help. Lots of big uh, developments happening with Word Balloon in the next couple weeks. Uh, we're, uh, don't worry, subscribers. We're moving platforms, but it should be a seamless transition, uh, and uh, you should be able to get there without any issues. But uh, a th really interesting moment here at Word Balloon, and I'm very excited about it. And I'll show you more details once they kick in. They should be kicking in this week. But right now, as the time, at the time of this recording, they haven't yet. But don't worry. I'll keep you informed. But thank you very much. Do you think Word Balloon is worth a dollar a month? Do you think it's worth the price of a comic book a month? Do I provide enough comic book entertainment and information that it enhances what we love about comics in the pop culture world? If you do, if you can afford it, go to patreon.com slash Word Balloon. You can subscribe to Word Balloon there. I've been giving you advance uh, sneaks of uh, interviews and panels from Terrificon. A lot of stuff is up there now, uh, including the 80th anniversary Superman panel featuring Roger Stern, Jerry Ordway, Paul Kupperberg, Pete Tomasi. Am I forgetting somebody? 
I don't think so. And then the Robin panel was Danny O'Neill, Mike Barr, Jim Starlin, Pete Tomasi, and Tim Seeley. Both of those conversations right now exclusive only to Patreon subscribers. So if you'd like to subscribe, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or click on the Patreon ad right there on the front page of wordballoon.com. Thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. This episode of Word Balloon is sponsored by Aftershock Comics. Shaking things up at your local comic shop right now with hit series like Animosity from Marguerite Bennett and Raphael De La Tour, Baby Teeth with Donny Cates and Gary Brown, and A Walk Through Hell by Garth Ennis and Goran Suzuka, as well as exciting new titles like Hot Lunch Special from Elliot Rayal and Jorge Fornes, Beyonders by Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair, and today's focus, The Art of Jim Starlin by, of course, Jim Starlin. Check out what's rumbling now at AfterShockComics.com. We're going to tell you more about the art of Jim Stalin in just a few minutes. But right now, let's get into our conversation about one of Jim Stalin's great creations, the Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet, with the creative team behind the original Infinity War comic book. And that was, of course, Jim Stalin, Ron Lim, and Joe Rubenstein. Here they are now, live from Terrificon on Word Balloon. We're doing the Infinity Gauntlet right now. My name's John Suntress. I host a podcast called Word Balloon. Obviously, the Infinity uh, War of Avengers, big thing, and it really started with this incredible story. Yeah, I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, I don't know if you <laughs> they, they, they did something with your story, Jim. But uh, no, this is great. I'm really, I'm really excited to be talking to these guys who are so important with uh, the Infinity Saga and, and so many stories. So uh, I'm going to start with uh, the gentleman next to me, anchor extraordinaire on so many classic great stories, and the guy that uh, really held the continuity of the Infinity Saga together as a changed artist, Joe Rubenstein, everybody. Uh, <laughs> And then I'll jump over to the artist who uh, has been doing the majority of uh, the Infinity Saga and a lot of other great Marvel works, the great Ron Lynn. And then uh, one of, you know, again, uh, these guys are all responsible for a good deal of Marvel uh, Cosmic, but uh, certainly the writer's contributions speak for themselves. Jim Starlin, everybody. So, you know, Jim, it, 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 <laughs> as, as Jim, as Jim uh, encourages work, applause, which I understand. It all starts with Dennis, though, Jim. Give him the knee. All right, fine. <laughs> okay. So, so, t- so tell us about the creation of Thanos, and, and, and you know, and it started in Iron Man, correct? Oh, that again. Oh, uh, Iron Man 55, but it started before then. It um, started in junior college. I took a psychology class, uh, and we had a guest speaker who came in and talked about the Freudian concepts of Thanos and Eros, uh, the lighter and darker sides of the human nature. I latched on to the darker side, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm working on the lighter side now. <laughs> Alan Davis and I are working on that now. Uh, but um, I came to Marvel, and Thanos was part of my portfolio that got me my first job, which was a five-page love story that involved <laughs> Tom the truck driver, Dick the dude, and Wendy the waitress. <laughs> Alliteration was big back then. Uh, basically, uh, when George Tuska, who was a regular penciler on uh, Iron Man at the time, had to go in for an operation, uh, Roy Thomas asked me to come in uh, with Mike Friedrichs and do a fill-in issue, and that's when I pulled out Thanos and Drax and uh, put them into the book and 
then we did the second issue uh, with Steve Gerber, and Stan hated it and fired both me and Gerber. <laughs> so it was an inauspicious beginning. It worked out okay in the end. Have you had a chance to uh, remind Stan in recent years? You know, you, you fired me with Thanos. <laughs> uh, he's fired me a couple of times. <laughs> I, I'm sure even he remembers at this point. Talk, Joe. Yeah, by all means. I have a question for Mr. Starlow. <laughs> did, did you want to be a writer who drew somebody who drew other people's stories, or did you always conceive of yourself as doing the whole package? I started off, well, long story. Uh, well, I'll keep it short. You got that. Um, I started off as a penciler. I wanted to be a penciler. Uh, always wanted to tell stories. And so I contributed to the plots right from the start. Uh, somebody asked me to fill in a couple pages of an Iron Man story, which I drew, and then the script came in and I looked at it and it was Happy Hogan stepping out of an office and kicking over a trash can. And his line was, look what that woman has made me become. A litter bug. <laughs> and I thought, I think I can do better than this. Uh, then I really enjoyed writing because I realized that you can write 25,000 cavalry men charged over the hill and not have to draw them. Right. So that sort of got me into the business of writing. What was uh, both Joe and Ron, uh, what were your first Marvel cosmic stories? Cosmic stories? Yeah. Well, the, co the cosmic. Uh, mine was a uh, surfer, actually. Because I was working on Cyforce for the new universe before that, and then uh, my editor was Craig Anderson, and I said, and I guess Marshall's leaving Surfer, and they're like, Marshall Rogers yeah, Marshall was leaving Surfer? Okay. For you artist. Yeah, yeah. And then they, so I said, can I try out? And they're like, yeah, sure, try out. And, and I was like, oh, it didn't come for like a year for Marvel at that time. So I was like, all right, so I tried out. Nothing, I would get it. Then he called me up and says, you got the book. What? <laughs> I'm not ready for this. <laughs> How long were you on Surfer? Uh, about six years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Longest run forever, yeah. Forever. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Jeez. Are you, Ron, are you on our Marvel? Are you on our Marvel Cosmic panel tomorrow? No. Oh no. man. Come on in. Yeah, man. If you well again, I don't want to well, I don't want to like blow any commissions for you or anything, but but if you've got time, yeah, man, I think you should be there. Joe, how about your how about your Marvel Cosmic uh, involvement? Well, I think firstly your first job was I was the anchor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Okay. And my first cosmic job was Avengers Annual Number Seven, seven uh, two and one annual over this guy. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. So my very so my very first Marvel job was when I was 19 years old, and and Mr. Starlin, who I used to think was. Jim Sparling. <laughs> um, and somebody said, oh, look, it's brother. Right, right. No, that's true. I was at a party. said, who's that guy? He says, oh, it's Jim Starling. But Jim Sparling? I like his work. And, but, but so I'm so glad you're here for multiple reasons, one of which is you walked up to me at a party and went, you want to get the Avengers annual? I went, yeah, sure. Why do you ask me to do it? <laughs> it's like I was hanging out. I was 19. Probably drunk. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm sure I saw your hard work up at Continuity or something like that, and I thought you'd do a good job. Thank you. I mean, it. it, it and, uh, but I probably was drunk. Both drunk. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the altered state you're in right now. No. Okay. But it's. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's like. I was thrilled because there were all these artists at Marvel I was chomping to work with, like John Buscemi, Gene Colan, and I was DC. I, I started working at DC when I was 17 years old. So I was doing that stuff, and then Jim walks up to me, 
And um, it's like so many things in life. It's like, yeah, sure, okay. And then you look back, and it's like complete pivotal moment in your life. Everything changed, you know. And I mean, I, I turned to Steve Lealoha, who was an inker on Jim's work and a wonderful artist. I went, yes. How come you didn't ink it? He went, I don't know, because I was busy. <laughs> and that was that. And, and the funny thing is, over the next 30 years, they reprinted that thing like 10 times. Like every time you turned around, there was another reprint of it. That's the thing that got Thanos into the Marvel movie universe. Josh Brolin, that was one, or Josh, uh, we Josh Whedon. Whedon, thank you. Uh, says that was one of his favorite comics when he was a kid. Wow. That's cool. That's excellent. That's amazing. Was uh, And I'm going to probably ask this question again tomorrow when we're talking Marvel Cosmic in general. But I'm really interested in that great period in the 70s when there was more speculation that Chariots of the Gods, Eric von Daniken, if that Danken period, and all these different things of, you know, what was the mystery of the, the pyramids? Where did aliens do it? And all the cave drawings of what looked like, you know, alien astronauts and it things was, like it that. It was a guy named Ralph. I have proof. He, he, inspired, he inspired all this. No, I honestly, like, it seemed like that stuff was in the zeitgeist in a different way than, certainly I know Kirby was so blown away by 2001 and things like that. That also came from the NASA realities of space exploration. And I wondered if as the mythology of what the cave drawings showed us in the Egyptians and how people tried to spin that into sci-fi if that stuff was ever in your guys' minds. No, my uh, intake was more like Wilhelm Reich and Carlos Castaneda, the Don Juan stories. Uh, oh, really? You know, I wanted to do sort of mysticism in science fiction and uh, I knew what light years were, but I really didn't want to get the science into it. I wanted to get the story into it and uh, those are the kind of things I wanted to do was more sort of spiritual mind-blowing. I mean, all my characters go on trips when they go on story. Captain Marvel became a warrior who became a holy man. Warlock became a holy man who became a paranoid schizophrenic suicidal man. <laughs> so they, they change. That's excellent. That's great. Um, and, and seriously, folks, if you want to chime in, because the, really this is a great opportunity to talk very much cosmically and stuff. Sir? What, what, why did you decide to stop the character of Warlock? Say, so maybe you had like, the character arc. Why did you stop, decide to stop the character of Warlock? And I saw a story where it's like you went to paradise well, the reason I ended uh, my run on Warlock is uh, twofold. Uh, one, I had a spat with Marvel, yeah. Marvel Editorial. And two, uh, for the first time, and maybe the only time in comic book history, a number of books had to be canceled up at Marvel because they ran out of paper. Uh, War of the Worlds, Warlock, and I think Luke Cage all got canceled at that point because the Canadian supplier just didn't have any paper for them, and so a number of the low-hanging fruit got snipped and tossed out. Wow. Yeah. What, what, around what year? Early 80s? Uh, no, this was late 70s. This was late 70s. I was working on Warlock. Okay. It was just okay. after I quit. This all happened. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and then you, you know, you, was this the period where Dreadstar and all that stuff came, or was that much later? I think I went over and did Superman for a while first. And okay. No, maybe Dreadstar did come in after that, because I was working, I'm a little hazy on the things, and plus I've been working on Dreadstar for the last three months, so. Uh, Outstanding, uh, good to hear. Fixing up the things for 
a massive reprint. That's fantastic. But uh, I'm, I'm really bad at years. So okay, man. It's all good. Have to have what? No problem. <laughs> what's What's the name of the character, the tall guy with the Sisigy? Sisigy. Um, he was one, one day. Jim, one day, Jim Starlin walks up to me and says. <clears throat> I need you to pose for me, but here, get in your underwear and put this towel on. <laughs> and um, he made so, a mistake of coming into my studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I couldn't afford to pay him that much to take the pictures. Um, but, <laughs> but, but there's a whole set of me going. <laughs> and and I, I mean, in the pictures, my character's like a, a you know, like a, a generous five foot five. Um, and then when he gets exploded, what do I go? Six four or something? You're up to seven feet. <laughs> so and so I don't use you for the reference after that. No, no. What? <laughs> you couldn't like. You know. All right. So so if you buy the price, which is the black and white painted origin of of Dreadstar, I'm the guy walking around with a beard and hair. And, That's awesome. And there's a woman in it named uh, uh, Sister Marion, who was my girlfriend at the time. Hilarious. Yeah. So I point that out to people that I used to look like that. <laughs> wow. Uh, a little known fact, which I haven't really brought up too often, was that Sister G was supposed to be black character. And I actually had somebody coming in that day that Joe showed up. But he couldn't make it. And at the last moment, because of the thing, Sister G became a white guy because Joe is. My model didn't show up. <laughs> I, I, I was working on black. photo reference right, right. at that point. Right. Yeah. That's excellent. Now, Sunday, we're going to do a Robin panel and get into Jim's run at DC and the death of Jason Todd and all of that stuff. It's so, gruesome. Oh, well, it, I look forward to the story. So if you're here all weekend, you'll want to check that out Sunday afternoon. But let's get, let's get back to the event itself, the Infinity Gauntlet, and what started multiple Infinity uh, sagas and, and stories. Um, well, first of all, what brought you back to Marvel? Um, oh, I had killed Robin. Sure. So that was a bit. So Marvel took notice of that. No, no, no. Uh, DC. Or they were mad at you. It was their best-selling book that year. Yeah. And as a reward, they they dried up all my business because they suddenly realized they had all these lunch boxes and pajamas with Robin on it. <laughs> and somebody had to get blamed for this. Oh my God. And so. What? Well. <laughs> you're not gonna. You're not gonna yeah. jump. You're yeah, not gonna no. jump Denny on Sunday, are you? You're gonna. No, no. Denny okay. I've bragged on this enough. You know, okay, good. Because he, he went on all the talk shows when the first thing came out and said, "Oh yeah, my idea." I thought it was great. And then when it came down to the shit hitting the fan, uh, I got it. And so I, oh, I went over to Marvel and uh, started on this over and uh, you know, every time I get fired, it it works into something much better. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Man, crazy. Isn't it interesting to, to the fans that books got canceled because we ran out of paper. Jim Sterling goes to Marvel because somebody says, don't do that again. I mean, it's like you don't know about all the currents and all the politics that happen. You just buy the comic book and wonder, how come Ron Lim's not on the Silver Surfer anymore? Right. right. There might. I mean, as, totally. as collectors, without mentioning names, would you like to know who embezzled and who stole yes. and who and you know and, and who was a horrible human being yes. and who was an Yeah, but but Can like, I leave the room before you start talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But at the same time it's like there's um you know like all right, so I'm a painter and one of my big influences is Degas. And Degas was a raving anti-Semite and Jewish. 
So when I look at the stuff, I kind of separate that from it, you know? So can you pick up a comic book by your favorite artist and go, oh, I heard about this guy. He does, he's not a nice man. Yes. Can you separate? I don't know. Vinny Coletta. Vinny Coletta draw, drew beautiful women. And I know he was a scoundrel and, and kind of mean. Scoundrel. And, that, that's good words. poetic. All right, thank you. Well, I'm, you know, again, you know, trying to, there's a couple, there might be a couple of kids. But no, I, no, but that's what, honestly, and it would erase Kirby's stuff and, you know, and, hey, but. Hey, yes. you want it done by Thursday, I can get it done by Thursday. Well, that, hey, man. Uh, okay, but, but these people back here, my background guy, those are backgrounds. You ain't those. Right. Okay, Vinny, Vinny was very proud that if you said, can I have 100 pages by Wednesday, they were in. He was very proud that he, he got the publishers to save money because the work got done. I wondered, um, Ron, if in fact you coming in, because the Infinity Gauntlet started with Perez yeah. and then went to you, yeah. if there, because I know, does everyone, is everyone aware of the phrase, the Krusty Bunkers? And I don't, Joe, I don't know if you were a crusty bunker. I was a bunker. crusty bunker. Joe's a And I don't run, I don't run. Occasionally. Right, right. Okay, there you go. So, and Ron, were you? Were, were you? <laughs> Basically, and, and actually, Joe as, and, and Jim, and explain what crusty bunkers were. Crusty bunkers were a group of artists who would meet up at Continuity, and usually they gathered to help Alan Weiss meet his <laughs> well, others too, like Brunner. Yeah, but Alan was the mainstay. <laughs> every, every, right, right. every time he had a six-page job, there was a Krusty Bunkers emergency. Right, right. And they looked good. Yeah. Of course, by the way, when Jim said continuity, it means continuity associates, which was Neil Adams' studio, yeah. which was Neil being one of the great comic book artists and a groundbreaker. He had studios in Manhattan, so whenever you let a, a handed in a job because you have to live in the tri-state area in those days, no FedEx, no computer. So you got done at DC, done at Marvel, you went by continuity, you saw what Neil had, and maybe he'd go, like Jeff Jones walked in one day and went, hey Jeff, you want to ink a panel? He went, all right, and he inked the panel, and that was cool, you got Jeff Jones to ink something, and sometimes people went, all right, I can take three or four pages and I'll be back on Thursday. And Neil was the predominant look of the book, he would do the big heads and the big figures, and the jobs got done. So those, yeah, that's the Krusty Bunkers would get things done by the deadline. And honestly, that is the, the fascination I, I have on both sides of looking at the art and reading the stories, but also knowing the background stories. No, that's, that is part of the interesting thing because this is deadline commercial art. It has to get done. It has to be there. And, and it's really, guys, what do you think? Honestly, all three of you, as people who had to work under those deadlines, whereas today, artists do get the license of, hey, you know something? Artist X had a bad month. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna postpone the book and they we'll do? let it finish it. Well, <laughs> some do. Some some get that treatment. Well, I know that Brian Boland took like ten months to draw the last issue of Camelot three thousand. Yep. Which is unbelievable. Yep. But but the jobs I get look, I was doing a job when, when DC was moving to Burbank, they did this convergence series. Yes. And they said I had my own book called World's Finest. And then they needed me for two late books. And they went, Okay. Can you, and, and you know, the computers have made life harder, not easier. Because it's like, can you get us a page by four o'clock? Okay, fine. It's just, or can you get us one by seven? Okay, fine. It's just, we really need another page by midnight. It's like, whoa. That's you know, and so I didn't know people could actually take their time these days because it'll wear you down. It, it's, uh, the thing with comic books is, they're a lot of fun. It's great. It's a childhood fantasy. It's what you always wanted to do. It's better than working for a living. Oh, yeah, and can you do 10 pages by Monday? <laughs> 
I was from Detroit in the assembly line, so I walked into this easily. So, Ron, both as, uh, you know, it, today's deadline thing, but also getting into how you got the job, because again, it started with George Perez, right. and then all of a sudden it was co-drawn by you, and right. Joe, of course, doing the inking, and yeah. then by issue three, it was you till the end, yeah. and then the subsequent well, series. Well, I mean, I worked with Jim Law and stuff leading up to Gauntlet, and so I was a little disappointed not being able to do Gauntlet, but I understood because it's George Perez, right? I mean, he's, he's the artist I grew up reading, you know, sure. well, so, but when Craig Anderson, the editor, called me and said, you want to finish up, you know, the series, I'm like, well, heck yeah! So yeah, well, I mean, what just happened to Jim? What, what happened? Yeah, what to did you have any, any idea, guys? Jim? I don't know. Uh -oh. To this day, I don't know the true story. Uh oh. I, don't, I mean, uh, story I heard, he quit to become an actor. Really? Yeah, he had been doing some off-Broadway stuff, and he quit. At least that's what he told Craig, and Craig told me. <laughs> he he uh, played both Lionels on the Jeffersons. <laughs> 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 so, so that, that's all nice. I know about it. I've never actually asked him about yeah. it. Uh, I, haven't seen him all that, yeah. I haven't seen him all that many times since then. Uh, yeah. He's usually been in the crowd. And yeah, I only see him passing. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, well, well the, the guy who kept it, uh, yeah. uh, what well, yeah. I was just going to say, you really have to hand it to Joe uh, as the anchor because the look of the book, and honestly, uh, to prepare for this and everything, I was rereading it and stuff. I, I didn't notice any well, sort of difference whatsoever. Well, let me ask you, Ron, did you do anything to try and blend in? No, I mean... Aping did, George's did style own, at all? I, or? I really, no, no really, it definitely yeah. wasn't George, but yeah. did you say, all right, well, I've got to draw this version of... Well, I looked at his pages for reference, just like things in continuity, correct. And, and did you feel the need to put in any more details like George did, or you did the amount of details no, you were always comfortable with? Uh, yeah, no, I just do normal clues. Okay. I don't well, thanks. I worked with George on a Surfer Superman story, right. and he just loves that detail. I mean, I mean, he just loves it. He's like, I asked him, I said, that like he drew Doctor Strange's house one day. Right. I was like, dude, just so much stuff in there. Do you just, why do you do that? He's like, because I love it. He just loves drawing it. But but in those days, you got a George Perez page and went, this is going to be a lot of work. Now it's like an after dinner mint compared to Travis Schwarz and all these guys who, who George set the standard. Like, I'm not going to let him outdo my details. You know, so. I have a problem. <laughs> Man, okay. Any other questions? Sir. How, how did the Infinity Gauntlet evolve from the original Soul Stones? That's a good question. Yes, how did the Infinity Gauntlet evolve from the original Soul Stones? Okay, I was raised in a Catholic family and uh, First few years of schooling, uh, parochial elementary school. Uh, sister of crazy out of their head nuns were my teachers. Uh, most of them were John Birchers. <laughs> wow. Um, so, somewhere along the line, once I started working on coming back to the surfer and working on Thanos again, uh, some of that. Catholicism crept back into my system. I thought I'd worked it all out with Warlock, but I apparently hadn't. And it occurred to me, you know, we talked that God is this all-powerful, benevolent entity out there. I wonder if he wasn't. I wonder if he was a crazy son of a gun who just wanted to do whatever whim hit him at that time. And so, um, I had thrown the soul gems into the Avengers story that you inked, and they were just sitting around, and then you and Inglehart had used them with the oh, yeah, elders. Elders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they were sitting there, and I thought, well, let's 
those, those are the six aspects of re life, basically. Um, if he becomes masters of those things, well, he becomes omnipotent. Right. And so that's where he came from, basically. Uh, blame it on the nuns. Sir <laughs> 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 in the gray, in the hat. Um, well, obviously not a perfect representation. What was it like to see your creation come to life on the big screen? Well, it's like you said, it's far removed. Uh, for one thing, he's got pupils. I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to get used to that. Uh, but basically, you know, there's thousands of people between me and it. Uh, maybe I was the gem, and maybe there are some scenes that I recognize from other books and that. But they did an incredible job creating that movie and that character. I mean, uh, Roland must have sat there and scoured these comic books to look to see how he moved. He moved perfectly. Uh, you know, it was just, they did, everything worked just perfectly on this thing to all these things coming together. Uh, Kevin Fiji is obviously an obsessed, crazy madman who will not let the movie out of the studio until like five minutes before the premiere because he's making changes up until the last moment. Uh, the Russos were, they just, they just wanted, they had the story and they knew with McFeely and Marcus, they just had to knock things around and put it into this universe and adjust to the fact that there were certain characters. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away by the process they did. I, I couldn't be happier. You know, I'm very proud to be associated with it. Yeah. Um, Ron, did you want to say? Yeah, actually, I'd love to hear what, what both of you guys yeah. think of the movie oh, as yeah. well. I love, I, love the, I love the movie, first of all. But yeah, the version of Thanos, I was a bit worried. I mean, to, I mean up until that point, we just saw him kind of laying out the plan. I was the jams, that's it, right? But yeah, to see him fleshed out was pretty amazing. I, mean, I was blown away. Well, you know, when I saw the first Avengers movie and it was ending, and I thought, who could they get to reunite? I went, Thanos. And I went, ooh, I'm right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I've, I've been associated, not really associated, but a lot of the movies, I've done a lot of different books, so I can identify with the Captain America movie and, and the Daredevil movie and all that sort of stuff. And the, the a couple of Wolverines back was actually my Wolverine miniseries in Japan, except they had very little to do with the, the series itself, which kind of disappointed me. But when I was watching, when I, when I was watching the, the Thanos Avengers thing, one thing I kept thinking was, why do I keep taking off his helmet? You know, it's yeah. a full helmet. But I thought, this was the really first time I sat there and went, wow. Why didn't we do that in the book? Why did he need, why did he need that armor at the end? But you did it at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you had it at right. the end. But, but I looked at it and went, wow, it's my comic book. I, I saw Thanos beating up on the Avengers. I went, Took 43 years, but I recognize this. <laughs> you know, because that's how long ago it was. You know, uh, no, 41 years because I was 19. So yeah, that's yeah, I came at it from a different angle than anybody else because they invited me down to the set of the next movie while before the first one was out. And I, I thought I was not going to learn anything, but it turns out that non-disclosure agreement I had to sign when I came in. All of them had done that a year and a half ago, and they were just dying to tell somebody what they were doing. <laughs> so I immediately found out everything. So I knew about why they took the helmet off, and I said, gee, that's a good idea. Uh, 
What happened, like about two weeks before the movie came out, though, they told me that they had a half hour of the Thanos backstory that they were going to have to cut out because it was going to be a three-hour movie. And I had just been on a plane where I watched the Justice League movie, and I thought, oh, God, you take out Thanos' backstory, it's going to be the Justice League movie. <laughs> and I was horrified. <laughs> So I show up at this premiere, and I'm thinking of nothing but Bob Kane. <laughs> now remember the Batman series in the 1960s? It was the antithesis of everything Bob Kane had done, but he was getting a piece of it, so he probably had to say, I loved it. <laughs> and I was like, I think of, I'm going to hate this movie. <laughs> and I'm going to have to get out there in public and go, I love it. <laughs> and I just wasn't sure I could do it. And then the movie, we went to see the premiere, and I went, yeah, you know, it is, it, again, again, rereading, in, well, and just Thanos in general, the love affair with death. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and, I, and again, I understand NDAs. We don't know what's coming in the second movie. But it is, it, it's too bad that there isn't room for that. Well, there, I can talk about this because other people have talked about it openly. Uh, the Marvel Universe, cinematic universe, is not ready for the abstract entities yet, like Eternity or Mistress Death. Uh, I imagine that's going to change as more of these Doctor Strange movies come out. Hopefully. But that's why they decided not to use Mistress Death. Okay. And the, back to one of our Silver Surfer things for our motivation. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, there was reasons for what they were doing. Uh, you know, they were working a lot of different moving parts into this box. Uh, you know, 19 movies. They yeah, kind of yeah, the absolutely. And, yes. Uh, you know, and basically, I, I, for what they had to work with, I think they did a fine job. How many of all of us, like, had friends that aren't into it like we are and said, you know, I hear this Infinity War is really cool. Should I see it? And it's like, no. Because it's chapter 20 or chapter 19. You, you won't, I mean, you, you, there's a level of appreciation that's not going to be there. And I, and I honestly, it's almost like a, like a lab experiment of, oh, your mom went and saw Infinity War? What did she think? Did she, did she understand what was happening or was she just like. You're like a sea blocker, aren't you? I, I've, actually, I've actually talked to a number of people who have, have never been to a Marvel movie before but went to see it. And, and they love it. Yeah, yeah. All right. it's great. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. But by the way, uh, I'm too. I'm, I'm like this with the yeah, trees. Yeah, you know yeah. that. All right. No, but I mean, it's great. It's great. It's an action thing, and yeah. you know. But on a, on a tangent, when Jim said that he went down to see the set, I was reminded Len told me that he went down to see a Wolverine movie being filmed, and he said it was the scene where Hugh Jackman gets out of bed and stands naked looking out at the window. And he went, I've seen Hugh Jackman's ass more than I ever want to. And I thought, <laughs> and I thought there's a lot of people who will disagree with I you I understand, now. yeah, totally. <laughs> I like that you called me a C-blocker. That's yeah. fantastic, yeah. Joe. I appreciate that. That's the only good. person who appreciated less than Len was the makeup artist. <laughs> <laughs> the fluffer, please. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it at that. I'm sorry. Sir, we'll get you next, but go ahead, sir. Dracula. Yeah, Dracula. Uh, brought up about death, um, that was actually part of my favorite part of the whole Thanos mythos of oh, yeah. Lady Gauntlet, and how he's not just someone who wants to destroy everything, but he's doing it for a purpose to impress and capture his lady love, and the fact that was missing in the movie, that was such a big thing that kind of caught me, and 
now I know why. So. Well, there's also the fact that they made so much money off Thanos, and Josh Rowland is lobbying to do more Thanos. Wow. Uh, so, uh, I mean, he started off going, it's a one shot. I'm going to do a one shot. And then two months later, can I get in the Eternals? That's <laughs> wow. So uh, I think there's a chance that Mr. Stas will appear down the line. Yeah. It's such a the big part of the story that you've done so. Yeah. No. It's Sam and Diane from the shirt. One moment, so I'm going to go to this gentleman first and then you. Go ahead. I have a question, question based on one thing I found with you two characters, uh, Thanos and Warlock, is they have very distinct word that, that They've always been lettered with a weird word in your mind, how do you think each of those characters sound? Because they, they look differently. Obviously, you're not intending them to sound like regular jokes. So, which characters? Yeah, which specific character? Oh. You know, the, you know, the, you know the, how your the balloons always style very differently from the regular animal. Okay, I think Adam Warlock sounds and looks like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> I, I, was certain, I, I was almost certain when I saw that uh, Peter Dinklage was in the uh, Avengers movie. Yeah. That, and they had him at IMBD without the credit underneath which character played. I was sure he was going to be Pip. That's true. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Uh, Eros, i would never given any thought to. I'll have to give some thought to on that one. And... Uh, I got to tell you, Brolin was not on my radar at all as Thanos. Uh, I was picturing somebody with, I thought it was just going to be a voiceover part. So I was picturing like a post-cancerous Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Idris Elba, I thought would have been terrific at it. Uh, but you know, I can't imagine anybody but uh, Brolin at this point. And it's not because he hugged me. <laughs> was it great? Oh, it was. It was really okay. <laughs> Sir. Marvel. Will there be a Marvel reference in the Captain Marvel movie? Uh, I understand. Uh, well, I've heard that Jude Law is playing inside IMDb. It's listed as Walter Lang, which was Marvel in the original comic books, but everybody else keeps referring to him as Marvel. So apparently, he's in there. Wow. I love Yeah, we're definitely going to get into the death of Marvel tomorrow when we talk uh, Marvel Cosmic and everything. Absolutely. So, um, so from a from an art standpoint, guys, Ron and uh, Joe, uh, was it tougher when it, when it is this kind of big epic and there are dozens of characters yeah. and stuff? You know, is it more difficult to draw than a regular comic? Yeah, than a regular. Yeah, comic. there's yeah. so many characters in there. Right, you keep uh, track of everybody. The, the hardest part actually is keeping track of what costumes they're wearing at that oh, time. Well, and that's what I, I was going to ask. Yeah, I kept drawing the thing, and all of a sudden they came out. They put a helmet on his head. I was like, "What?" Oh, that's right. That's when he was scarred. <laughs> he got scarred by Wolverine. Right. So I was like, I "Right." Didn't know well, and 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 the Hulk in that brown outfit, oh, yeah. and of course, yeah. this is intelligent Hulk. Yeah. So. so all that stuff is just it's just more technical stuff. Just getting costume reference. Other yeah. than that. Well, I, I mean, I count on my pencils actually getting it right, but um, <laughs> but, when, right, but but when I was doing the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, which was like our encyclopedia over the course of 20 years, and I would get this character tank with all this busy costume, I'd go look at the reference, and invariably it was designed by George Perez. <laughs> did uh, did did Jim draw Thanos for Ohatmo? 
Oh, no. Who oh, oh, oh. Who oh, you down? got ripped off. We used uh, a drawing of yours that was traced. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. I don't, know, I don't know that you got paid for it. <laughs> hey, man. Right. You know. That's as, what I did. We'll call CB. No, CB's here. We'll let no, someone with a big head. The head's too big. Right? I think I drew it. Did you? I think it's the one that came like out of the Avengers annual. But but as I thought about it years later, I suddenly realized they kept giving me photostats of Penciler's work to trace and ink, and I went, these guys weren't getting paid. Wow. You guys were getting ripped off. Wow. No, I think. All right. Well, I think I'm the first one to knock Marvel, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> in this particular case, I don't think they actually did well, anything I'll, wrong. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you one story, and and I know Jim Shooter can be a very um, controversial figure. People have stories, and, all, and he's always been a good guy to me. Um, there was a movie called Labyrinth starring Jim, uh, David Bowie, Bowie yeah. right? Yeah. And they did a comic book adaptation by the incredibly gorgeous, wonderful John Buscema. And they were doing a coloring book of it. And Jim said, so how are you doing this? He says, oh, we're going to trace the pencils. We don't have to pay anybody. And he went, no, you're going to pay John Buscema. Good. You know, oh, yeah. so That's cool. my experience is he was looking out for people. Because you know what? They took, yeah, my, my official handbook of the Marvel Universe, they took it and did a 500 page role playing game like Dungeons and Dragons, right? And I found this thing and I went up tomorrow and went, can I get some money for this? And they went, no, it's not in your contract. Now, in those days, they used to pay an inker like $23 a page for reprint. Wow. So now we're talking a couple of thousand bucks, right? Sure. But no, it's not in your contract. Well, well, can you give me a dollar just as sort of a token? No. <laughs> no. We, we got you. How about a copy of the game? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, probably not. Every, every, every Wolverine t-shirt I've ever owned, I bought at Target. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. yeah. So was it, uh, was it an easy pitch for the Infinity Gauntlet? And who was the editor-in-chief? Uh, Craig Anderson uh, was the editor, and uh, was it Tom? Oh, Tom DeFalco, right? DeFalco, okay. Tom at that point, and uh, Tom didn't pay any attention to it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Marvel was owned by uh, a permalitter group at that point, and they were trying to squeeze every cent they could out of your readerships. Uh, out of your readerships? <laughs> I'm a writer. Uh, <laughs> I just made that up. Uh, so this was a time when the X-Men, each X-Men had his own book or at least a miniseries and that. So anything that sold, they wanted more of. And we did well on the surfer. Yeah. The sales went up and they said, we want a spinoff. So we did the Thanos quest and uh, initial sales on the Thanos quest were so good that they wanted something more before even that came out. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Because uh, I was... You were still penciling up all those damn heads and at the end. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they said, okay, we're on to the next one. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I think that was possibly one of the reasons they did do uh, George is because you were still busy on the uh, Thanos quest. Oh, was I? Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, because it came out. There's so much stuff going on that time. Yeah. Yeah. faster. Yeah. So it was, it's all fast. you know, basically yeah. they wanted, you know, the... Infinity Gauntlet happened because Marvel couldn't figure out a way to pick you up and shake you and throw all your chains <laughs> So they hired me to do that. <laughs> Any other questions? Get over there. Hello? Yeah. Oh, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was wondering how you write such a complex character like Thanos, because there's so much to him. Well, he's developed over 40-some-odd years. Uh, basically, every time I go back to him, I want to add another little facet to him. And every time I sit down and write him, I 
sit down and read everything I'd done beforehand. So it's not like I've got this encyclopedic knowledge in my head. It's there on you know, for me to go look back at. And uh, I work on three by five cards to set out the story. So you know, I'm, I structure a story like a person builds a house. You got to get a frame first, and then you start doing the elaborations from there. And basically, he's somebody who I really love. Uh, it breaks my heart I'm not going to be doing any more of his stories, uh, but you know, I had a lot of fun with him. He was a, a great villain, hero, uh, complex, and uh, he was the kind of character I would have wanted to read. So that's basically how he came about. But, but Tim, when you started to draw Thanos hanging out with Mister's death, she wasn't a girl yet. You started to like build up her chest as the stories went on. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had that, that. I think it was the second issue of Captain Marvel, and I designed it up and did this hooded figure, and I went, "Who the hell is that?" And uh, I think I did go back and actually, yeah, up a little bit on. on that, okay. But okay. She kept. She kept getting more feminine as she went along. But, uh, but you always knew she was going to be Mistress Death when you, from almost the beginning? Or? Oh, maybe by the end of the issue, by yeah. the time <laughs> Especially that I and, figured it out. And, and within all of your years of writing, you never thought, all right, I got to get Thanos here, but that series, I don't have enough time, so maybe five years down the line, I'm going to get this aspect of him out. You didn't have it even that. Oh, I might, have, I might have some ideas, but most of the time it's, you know, just, oh, that would have been cool. Uh, a lot of, I find creativity works best when it's spontaneous. Um, Captain Marvel 25, there's a creature in it called Eon. He's sort of like this floating thing with an eye and a face on one right, side. Right, right, right. Some hair on top. He, he came about because I was coming back from a party, maybe a little bit inebriated. So there's a theme this was, in, this, was, this was in New York City, and I, I was stopping at a light, and there was a bag of garbage. There was a garbage strike at the time, and there was a paper bag over by one of the stores, and they had a grease stain. Something was seeping out of it, and I sort of looked at the grease stain, and I went, that's a really fascinating sh shape. And... Uh, I immediately ran home and drew it up, and that's where Ian came from. <laughs> um, so I like things that kind of happen, so, you know. So the hair was asparagus. It could have been. <laughs> Later on, there were some broccoli guys. Right, right, right. The <laughs> warlock, there were some. Uh, but but I'm, still, I'm still intrigued about your idea of yourself. Are you a writer who draws, or an artist who writes, or is there no difference in your mind? That's a good question. Well, seeing that I blew my hand up and can't well, draw anymore, well, now you're a writer. <laughs> yeah, but were you an artist who drew, who wrote? Um, I never gave that any thought. I right. mean, it was just it's something I did. You know, I'm a storyteller. Right, okay. You know, just whatever aspect. So it's just like when Harrison Ford says, I'm a movie maker, he thinks about, besides my acting, all the other things, because he's involved in the totality, as you are, when you do your story. Yeah, my mind tends to meander onto things other than that. You know, that's too specific, too concrete. Okay. <laughs> There's a, a riff you. A, um, I'm just a little confused about, uh, you know, you created Thanos, but do, does, doesn't Marvel own it? And can't they just, why sure. are they allowing you to develop the character? Why they just rip it away and let them... They have. They have. 
<laughs> well, they have, yeah, truly. The last couple, the Pay last couple. Please. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, again, not, nothing, nothing against, yeah, nothing against the writers and artists who got the jobs, but no, it's obviously, I'm sure but that's a point of view. Work for job. I yeah. mean, uh, I got a little bit better deal than most on the work for hire thing because there was some lost paperwork, and so when. Dano showed up at the end of the Avengers movie, Marvel and I had to come to terms again on stuff. And, you know, that's why he's in the movie and I, why I went back to work and uh, but, but why... So in the comics, you're you know, doing different adventures and they're letting you run the project because it's your character, right? Pretty much. You know, uh, the, good, the really good editors would let me run with whatever I wanted to because they got good results. Uh, you know, Archie Goodwin and I worked together for many, many years because he worked on the philosophy of ain't broke, don't try and fix it. And uh, so that's why we did Dread Star for 40 some odd, or at least 30 before Marvel stopped paying me. <laughs> uh, that's another story. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, yeah, they, they let me do Thanos. Nobody else wanted to do Thanos. Uh, he wasn't a popular, he wasn't like he is now. He was a cult character. Uh, I think Dan Jurgens and John Romita used him once uh, up before the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, afterwards, uh, Mark Wade had to use him in a Kesar story because it was X-Men's uh, character that they had in the story originally. They couldn't use the X-Men character, so all, so Adam or one of the Cubits had to redraw all of the X-Men guys into Thanos. So it's Thanos versus Kazar, which I always thought was kind of <laughs> one side. What do you guys think of the evolution, or uh, yeah, of of the Guardians? Man, when they announced the Guardians movie, and I, you know, I'm friendly with Casada, I'm friendly with Brian Bendis, and they were part of the Marvel movie panel, and they're like, "We're doing Guardians next," and I'm like. Really? I'm like, is yeah. that a good? I'm like, yeah. God, I don't want this to be the movie that kills all the great success and everything. So yeah, what did you guys think when they are like, oh, we're you know really getting into? So they started off with Iron Man. I mean, that well, yeah, pretty weird. Oh well, yeah, and that, and I, I understand you. I mean, you're right about that because yeah. he really wasn't an alien. God, they canceled him a couple times. They turned him into a kid, yeah, a teenager, and stuff. He was even they be, it's a wow. C level character. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I understand. But yeah, so no difference in, in terms of when it was, why not the Guardians or whatever? Well, the Guardians had a nice run there for a while under Atlantis and Landing. Is that their name? Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, that was a, that was a fairly successful book. Uh, yeah, Dead Landing, yeah. It actually made more sense than Iron Man. Because, you know, I mean, not a lot of people in the general audience knew it, but a lot of folks had read those books and Gunn was among them, so. Fair yeah. enough. But I'm, I'm with you. I thought, Guardians of the Galaxy, really? Really? Yeah. And then, yeah. and then it came out, to. and of course it was fantastic. Yeah. Some, somebody on Facebook wrote today, when's the last time you like, saw really good comedy? A really laugh out loud comedy. Guardians of the Galaxy number one. You don't stop laughing. This stuff's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I, I thought it was the original Guardians. I thought it was like... Right, me too. At first I'm like, yeah. No at all. Vance Astro's going to be in a movie? Okay. No, I thought those guys... Okay, <laughs> I was looking sense. forward to the fat guy. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Sir? Um, what I was going to ask is, um, as much as I loved Infinity War, one of the things I didn't get in it and um, was that amazing cosmic fortress that uh, Thanos had yep. in the Infinity Gauntlet. Did you create it, or did both of you? 
I'm just curious, because that was amazing. George designed that before I started drawing that. Yeah, yeah I think I gave them, it's, their stairs. I mean, we set up some parameters. There was a death head, but basically that was his design. Jim, did you write Marvel style? There's always that talk no, no, of full, full script, script versus Marvel style. I did full scripts on it. Okay, um, okay. Somewhere along the line, I gave up on Marvel style. And building, building on what Joe asked about death and how death became more womanly as you, as you progressed, I also loved that uh, character that Thanos creates, and I can't remember her name. Taraxa. Taraxa, yes. I, I always forget about her. People yeah. have been bringing her up and reminding me. I forgot about that. <laughs> I did, too. It was great to reread that. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing. There's really a lot of misanthropic stuff in there. But if it's that, but it is kind of this great jealous move. If you guys don't remember the story, where Thanos is just like, "Fine, death the hell with you. I'm omnipotent. I'll create my own love thing." She's great, and it really was this kind of, and, and I, well, I guess it was '90s and everything. But it really did feel like that kind of a Baywatch kind of, you know, idealized. I, I thought it was narcissism personified. Absolutely. I had it in for Nebula, so she got treated really badly on purpose because they said she's Thanos' daughter. And I went, he's never, you know, my Thanos would have never had offspring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says it. He's like, well, she says um, she's my daughter, so okay. So, you know, so I, so I abused her terribly in the, in the story. Very decomposed. Uh, I think Gunn's done it even worse. <laughs> yeah. And uh, looking back on it, it's a little embarrassing at this point. You know, there's a little bit of mat uh, sadism involved in that. So. But it is Thanos. Yeah. Aren't they yeah. doing a blow-up doll of her? Because <laughs> haven't we all at some point made up our own lover? Anyway, oh my. Okay, fine. All right, now we're getting dangerous. Any, uh, uh, sir, right there. And then you. So last week there was John Boston and I went to the John Byrne Oh, I'm sorry. Uh oh. The stories okay. he talked about was that morning CB had reached out to him maybe for a project. Well, CB's here this weekend. Has he talked to you? Me? Yes, yes, Jim. I haven't talked to John Byrne in years. No, 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 he's asking if, if CB you know, CB went to Byrne and said, yeah. hey, let's maybe try and do something new for Marvel. Has CB reached out, CB Sobolski, current editor-in-chief, reached out to you? Oh, no, no. Okay. All right, doing, okay, I found out his name now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm doing a panel with him tomorrow. Huh? I can arrange an introduction. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sir. I was just wondering because you you created Thanos and you you know you said earlier that you loved Thanos himself when making him. What was your favorite storyline to put Thanos in and to really uh, build on? What was your favorite story? The Thanos quest. Yeah, he's he's never been nastier than that. Uh, yeah. got, that one had all the beats working right on it, and he did a terrific job drawing it. That's my favorite Thanos story. Yeah, same here. Stuff. Right behind Death of Captain Marvel. That's my yeah. favorite story. And Thanos comes right yeah. behind it. How about for the, the two of you guys, your favorite Marvel cosmic uh, stories? Well, Thanos was his favorite when I worked. Well, okay, yeah. So, Joe? Well, you mean to read or to work on? Well, to yeah. work on. Oh, okay. Or read. Well, I mean, I, read. I, mean I, you know, <laughs> I, I did the Infinity Gauntlet, and, and, and what it ended with him sitting there with his, you know, his helmet off and going, this is cool. <laughs> I thought, who has seen the Scarecrow at the end of the movie? Yeah, I saw. Uh, who has seen it? I didn't remember seeing the Scarecrow oh, at the, the end of the movie. Yeah. Oh, it's on, it's on the Blu-ray? It's, 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 it's always there. Yeah. And I, yeah. they kept sitting. 
I went to the premiere and they went, what did you think of the Scarecrow? And I went, what's Scarecrow? Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see it until the fourth viewing. Okay, okay, good. Blu-ray. I thought that was... Yeah, all right, well I feel better then because yeah, yeah I'm like, oh it's, this is... It's really tiny yeah. in the lower left-hand corner of the screen. You, you know what the... The lower right. Yeah, all, yeah right there. All of Jim's cosmicness and, yeah. you know, madness and craziness and shit, I think one of the things that separated Jim from all the people that was writing this stuff was Captain Marvel died of cancer. Yeah. 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 He didn't die of Zap Bam. Right. He you know, and, and, and when Adam Warlock died, and see, in, in the annual, Jim asked to ink that page because obviously it meant something to you. You know, it's like it was, it was a chapter ending and it, it had some pathos to it. And, you know, Pip standing there with the frontal lobotomy and the blood running down his nose, it's like, you know, it's, it's like in Watchmen, Batman and all those people beat the hell out of everybody, but watch, uh, Rorschach goes and breaks the guy's finger, go, ooh, that would hurt, because it's real, yeah. you know? So, so the fact that Jim keeps killing his people, <laughs> very, like, I could, that, that could happen. Oh, Robin blowing up? Right, right. Oh, yeah. We've all blown up Robin once or twice. <laughs> I'll, I'll save my things on Robin until Sunday. <laughs> Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. No, so I, I, I think, you know, Superman is not super unless the world he's walking in looks like it would be rough to beat up. You know, it, it should be solid and there should be a reality to why these people walk around. Because, you know, superheroes are like weird, strange shut-ins. It's like we hang out the mansion until something happens so we can go save the world. Sure. It's like, shouldn't you have a hobby? Shouldn't you, <laughs> you know, like do like Pitbull Rescue or something? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Guys, I, I'm going to wrap up because we're getting close to uh, the time to transition but seriously a great conversation exceeded my expectations ron lim jim starlin joe rubenstein thank you for your great work thank you for this conversation okay we're between lectures so uh, let's take a bathroom break maybe check our hair in the mirror i never do that i should do that much more often Sometimes I know you guys look at me and it looks like I just came out of an explosion or something like that. Anyway, this episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Now, we've been talking a lot about a lot of the great Aftershock books that are out right now. One of them is The Art of Jim Starlin. It's the first time that Aftershock has printed this book. Let me give you the description. With his creations, Thanos, Gamora, and Drax the Destroyer occupying such prominent roles in Marvel's cinematic universe. The father of the cosmic soap opera, Jim Starlin's name is synonymous with larger-than-life epics, which is why Aftershock is proud to bring back into print this epic 320-page retrospective on the career of one of the most popular and prolific comic book artists of the last 40 years, covering everything from his humble beginnings to his rise as one of the industry's top creative talents. This oversized volume includes glimpses into Starlin's files and sketchbooks, as well as images of his personal favorites with insights into his life and creative process. The first edition of this volume sold out instantly. Don't be caught short this time. Make sure you order through your local comic shop, The Art of Jim Starlin. The diamond code is available at aftershockcomics.com. And uh, just check it out, and uh, you can get it now. Think about The Art of Jim Starlin from Aftershock Comics. All right, now let's get into our uh, next session. Everybody uh, have enough to hit the water fountain? You're all right? You're rehydrated and everything? Because we're into our second lecture now about Marvel Cosmic. Going back to the history... 
And uh, it's uh, timey-wimey that uh, some of this conversation obviously takes place before the Infinity Gauntlet. But uh, we mentioned some things that happened on the Infinity Gauntlet uh, panel, and they come up again uh, with Roy Thomas and Jim in this uh, version of a uh, talk about Marvel Cosmic. Great stuff, great behind-the-scenes stuff at Marvel. Uh, Honestly, I was so pleased at the level of candor that the creatives had at Terrificon. And, uh, you know, these guys are are into their careers, and it's not like, you know, hey, you don't like me now? Boo-hoo. Too late. The body of work is there. And I think that's what made for such interesting conversations on these panels. But truly, I was so happy to be a fly on the wall, as I say during this session, because uh, Roy and Jim really get into why books were dropped, why creative teams changed, lots of stuff about the history of Captain Marvel and the Kree-Skrull War, and so many other interesting facets from Roy. And then building on that, when uh, you know Jim came on and, and put his stamp on Captain Marvel and the Captain Marvel saga and everything that followed, I love this conversation. So really excited to bring it to you now. Roy Thomas, Jim Starlin, talking about the history of Marvel Cosmic, now on Word Balloon. Welcome to... Two-thirds of us. Exactly. Welcome to Two-thirds of us talking the history of Marvel Cosmic. I'm very excited to be doing this panel. My name is John Suntress. I host a podcast called Word Balloon. It's at wordballoon.com, where I get to, when there aren't conventions, have the same kind of conversations we're about to have today. So uh, I'm very excited uh, to uh, present Roy Thomas. And let me uh, tell you about Roy for a second. I'm sure you already know, but Roy is a legendary comic book writer and editor who was Stanley's first successor as editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. He's known for co-creating some of comics' greatest characters, such as Wolverine, Carol Danvers, Morbius, The Vision, Iron Fist, and Ultron. He also introduced the pulp magazine heroes Conan and Red Sonja, along with the sci-fi fantasy Star Wars to Marvel. Roy's had lengthy writing stints on Marvel's X-Men and Avengers, at DC Comics All-Star Squadron and Infinity Incorporated. Among many other titles, books, and a couple of movies, he was inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame in 2011 and currently edits the comic history magazine Alter Ego and works with Stan Lee on the Spider-Man newspaper strip. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Rascally Roy, Roy Thomas. Page 10. No, but that's the kind of career you've ever had. We're space till, uh, till when Jim Starlin gets here, you know, we'll stop. Absolutely, yes. Jim will be joining us. and uh, We'll tell you all the real stuff about him until he gets here. And then oh, there he is. Excellent. Excellent. Mr. Shot. I'll give the introduction as he's walking up. Another important voice, not only in Marvel's cosmic world, but DC's cosmic world as well. The creator of Thanos, the Infinity Gauntlet, so many other great creations. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Starlin. <laughs> Now I'm recording the audio. Let's for smash it up right here. To <laughs> for, the, for the people who aren't watching this, uh, John Cimino, who is uh, Roy's guy, brought up uh, this wonderful bust of Thanos. And uh, Jim Starlin, who made that bust? Yeah. Long, long time ago, yes. Oh, okay, he did. Yeah, yeah. 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 Jim, yeah. Jim, Jim, was it 73, 74? around the time I was in the Warlock. I think yeah. we did this little bus. Yeah, I think probably 74. I was out in California, so it would have been around 72 or 73. Oh, you weren't there in New York at the time? I think I did it in the... Uh, in, no, I did it in California, uh, and then... Mail? Uh, brought him back. I, I uh, came back shortly. I thought I had a feeling I got it from you in person. Yeah, because yeah. I'm pretty sure I brought some yeah. back, and... Yeah. Uh, 
There's a bronze one of this. There's two bronzes running around also. And I just got they, this they, thing. They've got this. Uh, this was hydrostone. <laughs> hydrostone. Hydrostone. Oh, doesn't exactly okay. do impact really well. <laughs> well, let me mention that when Jim gave this to me, uh, uh, it's got a number under it. It's uh, number 100 or something like this, whatever. Oh, it's a... And, and Jim, Jim Salak, uh, no, who, who's it? No, Ralph Macchio told me the other day that he has one of them. Okay. And then, but what happened is Jim gave me this. I was, you know, really, you know, proud. I didn't know anybody else had one, but anyway, I got one. And uh, <laughs> so I thought I'm going to really protect it. So it's starting to rain a little outside of New York or Madison Avenue. So I go out and I get really lucky. I hail a cab, you know, just to start to kind of drizzle. I think I'm going to get this hole instead of going to the subway or something. I'm going to protect it. So I'm going to get in. So I hail a cab. Cab pulls over. I get in and knock off one of the little ears or what would you call it, you know, of the bass on it. So it fell down the New York Street with the rain, so I couldn't retrieve it. So I, but I protected that's, so I said, 45, 40, 43, 44, 5 years. Sitting there, you know, on, on top of uh, a mantle or whatever, you know, always, always in my office there somewhere. And uh, just now while we were dragging around, the other thing, uh, ear fell off. But this, but with this one we have, so we'll, we'll be able to glue that back on as soon as we get out to uh, California and everything. It's the nature of being an editor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, should, I should find some rock outside and stick that on to sort of even it out. But, Jim, uh, have you done other sculpts of, you know, things you've created? Not, not too much. I, uh, nothing has survived. Okay. You know, there was a spell I was going through out in California, so uh, this the people liked it, and they did me a bronze cast and kept for themselves. And uh, strangely enough, this particular ear on the bronze cast has a little bit of decay on it. So, what, you mean this version or all of them? On, on the bronze version, there's a little uh, bit of decay oh, on it that I haven't been able to get off. Mm, wow. Okay, well, back on to something. Okay, that, yeah, uh, we're we're, well, we're here for this is this is the first. Time, I think this is, you know, I don't know if they've ever been exhibited because I certainly never take it away. I can't take a picture before you, before you take it away, absolutely. Yeah. What's incredible? We had a picture taken this morning while it still had one ear in it. <laughs> well, and we're here to talk about the, the history of Marvel Cosmic, which you can obviously argue began with Fantastic Four number one because it was a space shot that gave the, the four their, their powers. So, I'm, you know what? Cosmic cosmic rays. What are they? We don't know. We just call them cosmic rays. But uh, Roy, I asked uh, Jim this last time when we were talking about the Infinity Gauntlet. I wondered if, as you guys were creating sci-fi stuff, how much of uh, the zeitgeist of uh, not only space exploration from a NASA standpoint, but also... I, I, I was a little kid when Chariots of the Gods and Eric Von Daniken's theories came out, and it really seemed like that was kind of exploding all over the place, mm -hmm. and I don't know how much that influenced what you guys did, and you specifically in, in your writings, of, of any of those cave drawings and that speculation that, yeah. you know, the pyramids were created by aliens, and... Well, you know, you know, you may have been a little kid when Von Daniken, you know, wrote his book, Chariot of the Gods, question mark, but, uh, you know, I was an adult already, yeah. so uh, it didn't influence my comics writing very much, except that I came up with... Um, a story like that called uh, uh, Man Gods Beyond the Stars or something. I had, uh, I think Doug, I had actually ended up having Doug Munch write the story for uh, one of those black and white books. And yeah, I was yeah. pleased with that. And we were thinking of making that a series. It didn't become one, but we did that. And uh, uh, Alex Nino did a wonderful job, you know, drawing it. So I was very interested in that and liked to do, you know, 
things with it. I never believed it, you know, particularly. It might be true, might not be. Uh, but, uh, but it's an interesting speculation. But you know, I was always a science fiction fan uh, from, you know, well, a kid, whatever there was. I was an early member of the science fiction book club uh, from at least the old middle 50s or something like this, who I was 13, 14 years old. Had, I remember, in fact, one of the first books I had was This Island Earth. I didn't like the movie version of it, but the book version by Raymond Jones, which became, you know, partly the inspiration, or one of the main inspirations for the uh, the Kree Skrull War. The idea that Earth is this little, like a, a Pacific island in World War II with these two big powers battling it out, you know, and they're, and they're just some little island and so forth. And that's why the first chapter of uh, the Kree Skrull War, when Neil and I got into the main part, it became this battleground Earth. I was doing parodies of all these works. But I, I read a lot of science fiction, and I liked, I liked, you know, whether it was low level or the cosmic stuff, I liked it all. Let's get into the Kree Skrull War, because obviously that's one of the great... Epic stories. It was a way station on the way to what Jim <laughs> took a, a couple well, of steps further. Absolutely. <laughs> actually reading them when I was in the service. Well, oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, fantastic. I got a subscription to the mail. And, huh? uh, in fact, uh, I got a subscription to Captain Marvel, and it got canceled, and I ended up... Captain Marvel and one other book, I forget. They both got canceled, and they were replaced by two subscriptions to the X-Men, <laughs> which I didn't care about. But you got twice. But you got it twice? I got it twice a month. <laughs> <laughs> The first bad dealings I've had with Marvel. And <laughs> certainly, surely the last, right? Well, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's insane. This is so, so um, what were you, were you editor, writer when you were doing the Kree Scroll, or, who, or was it Stan? I mean, who, who, did, who, had, who greenlit the Kree Scroll War? Well, Stan greenlit it because the thing is, he had created with Jack. Uh, the Cree, I mean the Skrulls with like, Fantastic Four and sure. was pretty old, but the Cree were pretty new. They'd only been introduced to the Fantastic Four a few months before. Okay. He'd done just those two or three stories with Jack. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to cut Jack out. Jack obviously did a lot of the plotting and creating of that too. Uh, I don't even know which of them, two of them came up with a particular name, you know, or whatever. But it, it suddenly occurred to me once he had those, even though there had been a couple of other interstellar races in this story or that, but obviously something in the Fantastic Four, like the Skrulls and the Cree, and I, and I went to Stan, I said, you know, that we got these two races running, you know, if you don't have any plans to do anything more with them, and he was still writing Fantastic Four, so he could have, I said, I'd like to, you know, have, have them have a war, and Earth is just like caught in the middle, and he said, and, you know, Stan made that great, sounds good to me, you know, <laughs> that, 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 was, that was about it, that was, you know, that was it, I wasn't, I wasn't officially the editor or anything like that, but, you know, Stan, you know, didn't really... You know, we, we just generally I would go in and give him an idea and he'd say fine. editorship must have been only once away at that point. It was close. Yeah, yeah it, was it was pretty close. close. Okay, yeah, that's why I wasn't sure about the time. Yeah. Um, it, it is this incredible epic. It's, uh, you know, again, I even think the, the, the start with Captain Marvel was such a, a great character. I love the fact, too, that Marvel just kind of, you know, had that, that name was out there and, and nobody was using it. Mm -hmm. You know, Fawcett had stopped publishing yeah. the original Captain Marvel and yeah. he comes along, a very different character yeah. and again yeah. representing yeah. the Creed. Well, Sam has this delusion that, uh, you know, he did that he wanted to do the Captain Marvel character. I have to know that, you know, that's, that isn't true. I mean, he believes it. He just doesn't remember. But in 67, Martin Goodman, somebody came to Martin. Stan remembered this at the time because he told it to a couple of college uh, things. But Martin Goodman, the publisher, was approached by somebody who wanted to. He said, if you could use the name Captain Marvel and do a comic about it, I could make it into a TV show. And he wanted it to be science fiction. -y. That's why he has that space 
I, I didn't know all those details, some of them, until later. I just know that Stan told me Martin Goodman wants me to do a character called Captain Marvel. He didn't mention anything about the TV show. I learned that later. And he said, I don't really want to do it because he said, you know, Captain Marvel was, it's not like Daredevil. Captain Marvel was still so well known. I mean, I'd get in the cab in New York City in the 60s. You know, and the caddy would say, and I'd mention for, for Marvel Comics, he'd say, oh yeah, I love Captain Marvel. <laughs> say, well, Gomer was doing Shazam on Gomer. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. There was, it was in the culture, and of course, they still had an awful comic book uh, that the Myron Fast did. And yeah, the lawsuit over that we'll go into. Where his body would split into yeah. different, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, he got back together again. It was <laughs> but anyway, that was it. And so, so Sam had to do it. And you could tell he didn't want to do it, but not only is it a shorter story than you, it's like 13, 14 pages, but by the second issue, he just dumped it in my lap with no directions at all. Just, here, here it is, take it, you know. And luckily, I, you know, was, you know, enjoyed. But I made a terrible mistake on Captain Marvel because he... Uh, I suggested several color schemes for that costume, and unfortunately, one of them was white and green. And that was one of my great mistakes. Uh, but, I, but to make it up, I was the one who got him to put the Saturn type of planet. Gene Colan had put it in without. He said, "Well, you've got to have a chess symbol in there." So I got sure. that. But then I negated it with the green and white. He didn't like it either, right? No, I don't remember Gene didn't like it all that much. None of us liked it. I don't even I didn't like it. It was my idea. I don't know where I. You know, as soon as I could. You know, we got back to primary colors, you know, sure. when, when Gil and I did it a couple of years later. But, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> well, that's an excuse to obviously talk about uh, Jim's evolution yeah. with the character. Then. Well, it was... I don't know if you remember, but you gave me Captain Marvel when it was on its death throes. Was it me or Stan official? <laughs> no, no, you, you gave it to me. Stan okay. fired me off Iron Man. A uh, month or so before, because he had us do. Yeah, he said, "Get these guys off there." Really? And, uh, because we did the funny. Yeah, I know he liked your work from the beginning. He's the one that really hired you anymore, isn't he? Or is it he, through uh, John? No, you hired me, me basically. I don't know. Sam was coming. I, if he hadn't, I would have. You know. But uh, Sam saw the issue of Iron Man that Gerber and I did, which was funny after '54. It was '55, I guess. Yeah. And he said. I hate it. Get these guys off the book. Really? And you, you actually apologized to me at the point saying, yeah. I'm sorry this is happening, but I got another job for you. Mm-hmm. And you said, this is probably not going to last because <laughs> it's on its death throes. Because you had You had the great welcome tomorrow. Sam kicks you off a book and I give you a dime. That's great. Yeah. And you, you know, you're, you said, we'll find you something else afterwards. And I immediately got into Captain Marvel and the sales went up and you yeah. kept trying to get me off it. You wanted me to do the thing book. Yeah. Thing, which, yeah, which you did too. Well, yeah. 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 I said, I want to go back to Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Come on, stay with me. No. <laughs> and then she wanted me to stay with Shang Chi, but I still wanted to get character Captain mm-hmm. Marvel. You only, how many, you, you and Steve only did a few issues of uh, Shang Chi. Yeah, I, I found out who Fu Manchu was. Oh, okay. Years, right. but, oh that's my fault. I never read any. Okay. Well, that was Stan's fault. He bought that. No, I did. That's all mine. That's all mine. I'm proud. I've been Stan all these years. No, no, it's all it's all mine, and I'm and I'm proud. But hey, we we won't talk about that. That's for the Fu Manchu. Next panel. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it just was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, uh, you were talking about Van Dyke, and that was never ran to my radar. Mine was always Wilhelm Reich or Carlos Castaneda or any of that stuff I was reading. Yeah, Lucas was big on uh, Carlos Castaneda. Yeah. When I did one of my only plotting sessions with him, he would talk to me about Carlos Castaneda, and he curled up a little fetal ball on the ground, rolling around, explaining something. I, to me, it was just gibberish, but. You know, oh, it's but, but, it's, but it's great for fiction. I yeah. love the idea of fiction. You don't have to believe in it, but it was a great starting point for yeah, fiction. Yeah, my belief is kind of tenant based yeah. on that. Yeah. But, but it, was, it was great material to work with. And uh, between 
you know, I, it was always more the philosophy rather than the science, and I always thought it was more interesting in doing stories, so, you know, like Captain Marvel went from being a warrior to being a holy man, and then we did Warlock afterwards, and he was a holy man to start off with, so... I detect a theme here. Yeah, so the, a paranoid schizophrenic suicidal was the only place to go with him. <laughs> so you went. Uh, so, yeah, we had fun. <laughs> well, I... Um... All right, well, first of all, shame on me, because as you mentioned, your Iron Man run, and we talked a little bit about it last night with the Infinity Gauntlet Jim, uh, the creation of Thanos, that, that came in Iron Man. And, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, for the people that, I don't know, who was here last night? Only well, about half, you know, not even a third. So, yeah, tell, tell us about they, they forgotten already, anyway. <laughs> So tell us, about, tell us about creating Thanos, and who's become such an well, important... Well, basically, it was a psych class I took in community college after I got out of the service, uh, being, you know, I was going to take advantage of that. Um, guest lecturer came in and talked about the Freudian concepts of Eros and Thanos, the lighter and darker side of human nature. I latched out to the darker side and only recently played with that lighter side of it a little bit. Uh, did some sample drawings up, uh, brought them up, and you hired me uh, to work at Marvel. Was some of did you have two or three characters at the same time? Or something? I, had, I had Thanos. I had a strange version of the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Drax, you mean? Yes, Drax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which uh, yeah. you said we need another name because there's another Destroyer. Well, yeah, with the, but the Drax thing, that, that, that took care of that. Yeah, 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 so we just came up with yeah. that one. And, uh, but he, had, he was in the Among the Things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think it was Mentor Heroes, Drax, and Thanos. And Thanos looks really like Mentor from... He's New thinner. thinner. Oh, he was much thinner. Yeah. And you said, bulk him up. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> so, yeah. At least I have some good ideas. Then, then <laughs> DC and Marvel, or DC's Dark Side and Thanos over the years kept inflating. Yeah. And I really think the whole expansion of their physique gave more the idea that they were the same characters. Yeah, we'll say Even right. though if I, any of the characters of Kirby I was ripping off was Mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. But, it, you know. So somebody told me that they thought that the Thanos you did, that it had, was there really intended to be a vampiric feel to it, vampiric, or was it, or is that just somebody's interpretation of what Thanos was originally? Well, his two henchmen were the Blood Brothers, which were... That would help, yeah. That were, may have given that impression. Yeah. The thing, and the other thing I like, besides the, the general weapon, is just, if he'd be good, he'd be a good character. I was thinking of, you know, the, you know there was, I, I'd seen Dark Side, but there was also Doctor Doom, and just that feeling of the massive characters, just how appealing. One of the things that I particularly liked is the name Thanos. Because as soon as I saw the name Thanos, you know, I mean, as, they, as this expression goes, you had me at Thanos because I loved the, the name and I thought that, the idea that, you know, we weren't going to let a name like Thanos get away. That's a perfect name for a character. Yeah, it's funny because recently I've been getting a lot of uh, web articles saying that Thanos is a misspelling of Thanatos. Yeah, so right. Jim no. Starlin can't spell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the truth was that, I, do you remember the Greek restaurants in the 70s, mm-hmm. all the Thanatos? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I had one two blocks down the house for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't spell. I wouldn't pass the damn thing every day. <laughs> yeah, there was Thanos, and there was a, who, I don't remember the uh, American uh, poet who wrote uh, Thanatopsis is a poem, you know, so, so I mean, I was aware Which makes more sure it's name in the restaurant Thanatops. Yeah, right. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's like you're going to death. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 not over anything that isn't fresh. Yeah. But well, anyway, I guarantee you, you're a little bit of botulism with every yeah. server. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, but, uh, 
I mean, you, you know, you and Stan basically had a good relationship, except he kept having John Reeder to draw your faces or something yeah, like that. Yeah, John. Well, John is more anticipating about what Stan wanted. Yeah, anticipatory, you know. really. Yeah, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So Stan and I started off uh, uh, doing the cover sketches for other artists to do. So mm-hmm. every morning I would come in and I would do a sketch up from the Xeroxes of an issue of a book. Then I would take him in and take him in to Stan in the afternoon when he showed up. And he'd go, perfect, perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and then he would get up on the desk and he would act out. Do you remember mm-hmm. how he did this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he would act out uh, how he wanted the pose to be. And he got that from me. Yeah. And how often did he sit on his glasses afterwards? <laughs> he used to do that with me regularly. I still have to ask you a question. What was it? Because I, I have no real memory of this. What was it? Did you get an idea of what it was he didn't like about your Iron Man particularly? Because it looked. Oh, it's funny. Oh, you it's really fun. thought Purely you were disrespectful of his character. Oh, but, but it was drawn like an adventure comic. Yeah, but it, we were, we, Gerber and I had... Well, Gerber, you, you're weird. Gerber was weirder. <laughs> Sam later on got mad at me about a Nick Fury uh, story that Howard Chaikin and I mm-hmm. did. Uh, I think this was after you were gone uh, as editor. And yeah. uh, he sent out a memo to everybody saying that this story should never be referenced anywhere in the Marvel Universe ever again. <laughs> what was it you had done? Uh, he was embezzling money for a formula to keep him young. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah well. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> a little miscalculation yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. Not the first time. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I love being a fly on the wall and, and hearing these kinds of stories. This is exactly what I was hoping for with these kinds of panels. The, the visual evolution of Captain Marvel to the more recognizable uh, costume and everything. What you know, because as you guys said, <laughs> I like the original. Well, well Gene has done that, and it, if if we had done it in different colors, it might have worked a little better. But I mean, that stayed. But somehow, <clears throat> then one day, I, it just wasn't going anywhere. I'd written, got off it. Uh, Arnold Drake was writing it, and so forth. Changed artist, you know, uh, John Don Hank. It just just wasn't going anywhere, and I think the color scheme wasn't helping any. And uh, somehow, you know, so, uh, and one day, I don't know if it was a weekend, but I woke up at home one of the days I was in my apartment, one of the days I was uh, working, you know, at home as opposed to coming to the office, and I suddenly had this idea that, I, that, to, to, that we had to do something with Captain Marvel, and I said, I, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to swipe Captain Marvel. The original Captain Marvel, which I love as a character, that was magic. This is sort of science, low-level science fiction. So I called up Stan. We had just given the book to Archie Goodman. And everything to try to feel because I felt he'd do a good job with it. And uh, I called him Stan. I said, "I'll give you know." I got an idea. I said, "Of course, this is weird because I didn't have the right to do this. I'm working for Stan." I said, "I'll, I'll give you." I had this idea from Captain Marvel, but I only tell it to you if I can write. You know, and so I told it to him. I don't think I went too much into the idea that it was really ribbing off the old faucet Captain Marvel. I just gave him the story without it and assumed he would have forgotten, you know, the old Captain Marvel. And uh, he said, that's great, all right. So we gave Archie something else. So I, I saw Archie coming into the building and grabbed the page and we, you know, we, should, and, uh, we changed a few drawings in Archie's last story to get the costume in there because okay. it, was, it worked out. And then, and then it was sent off to Don Heck. And that was all fine. It was all going to be fine. I was going to try to write it. Then Gil Kane comes waltzing in and tells not me, but Stan, because I didn't really know him, how we sort of had a nodding acquaintance, Gil and I, over the years. And he says, they told Stan, I'd like to do Captain Marvel. I don't think he called Stan my boy like he did everybody else. <laughs> He's about the only people who didn't. He said, I'd like to do Captain Marvel. That book is going nowhere. Well, he had that right. And he says, I'd just like to do it. So he says, well, you know, Roy's in charge of that. See what he thinks. So I said, you know, I said that's great. 
So we just as I yanked the thing away from Archie, now we yanked the plot back from Don Heck, gave him something else to do. He didn't lose a dime on it, didn't care one way or the other, really, and uh, gave it to Gil. And, and Gil, I think he had Roger Brand. Do you know Roger? Roger, yeah. the underground. He, I think he was an assistant at that time. He broke it down. Gil really loved the, the story, saw what I was doing, and did it wonderfully. And uh, from that time on, we became, you know, uh, collaborators, whatever we could, with, you know, Iron Fist, Warlock, and stuff like yeah. that, and became good friends. And it all sort of grew out of the Captain Marvel collaboration. And it was doing pretty well and everything. But eventually, you know, we, it was like canceled and brought back about twice in those five issues Gil and I did together. And then uh, I had to leave it. So when it came back a little later, the second time, gave it to like Marvel Open and Wayne Boring, you know, the Superman. Wow. I, thought, I thought it would be funny if the second Superman artist ended up drawing Captain Marvel. That was just my uh, humor. And uh, so Marvel Open brought it. And a little bit it ran through and, and then Jim... Jim wandered Allen. into it and like, began to work his wonders on it. For me, uh, yeah, there are a couple issues there. Yeah, yeah, so you can tell about how you took it over then. Uh, basically, I already have. You said we have this book that's rapidly dying. and You had gotten your early uh, sales reports on the Wolfman uh, yeah. Boring runs. Yeah. And it was lower than... You had just expanded out. Of, I think you had five new books and this mm -hmm. was way at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you said... Do this, and we'll do it. Uh, you know, I'll find once this book gets canceled, I'll find you something else. Yeah, and it never got canceled, so I just stayed with it uh, yeah. until we went on to work. Why did you? You know, uh, was that when I was still the editor? Did you change the color from the white that Gilton wanted to to uh, blonde? Oh, you I suggested think. that. I did? Yes, yes, uh, you said... I wasn't drinking that much in those days. I, <laughs> really, I never liked that. Really? You, know, you, you, you suggested it because uh, you thought we'd bring in younger readers. <laughs> Blonde hair will bring in younger yeah, readers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I made you guys take the mustache off uh, Master Kung Fu. Remember when you brought the drawing in, he had a little mustache, and I said, lose the mustache because he looked Yeah, cool. we had that. So I guess I had that. Well, you know. well Stan didn't want it. Did I have to give him freckles, too, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, make him look younger or something, you know, give him yeah, a fishing pole. I, I, I don't remember Stan didn't like any of the Asian faces. On yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so that's why we ended up making him Eurasian. And yeah. a lot of that had to do with the quality of my, my drawing at that time. Oh, I thought it looked fine. Well, I, I thought it didn't work. Looking mm. back at him, I think, mm. okay, maybe it was best to go with the face. It was on the <laughs> costume design. Uh, but... Uh, Basically, uh, the blonde hair was. I was going to do all these changes in them at that point, and you suggested the blonde hair mm -hmm. for the younger thing. So I just yeah. tossed it in. It was kind of a nice little bit because at one point he goes, without looking in the mirror, he goes, Oh, and I have this blonde hair now. He just knew it, yeah. Yeah, Was it my suggestion or was it your idea to, to swipe uh, Steve Ditko's? Captain Adam trail, you know, that he had done on Captain Adam, with oh, the, the little, the little atomy or bubbly things coming after him, which in my mind was like Ditko's Captain Adam that I have loved from the late 50s, yeah, but I, I don't remember who's, I, I, I don't I, know if it was I, my I don't remember which one of us suggested it doesn't matter, uh, you know, plagiarism, whichever yeah, one of us did. Yeah, we swiped it, whatever it was, it wasn't like it was our idea. Yeah. We're standing here, we swiped Captain Marvel, we swiped Captain Adam, we, you know, there's, we swiped Fu Manchu, we, you know, we never made anything up, you know. That's we, awesome. we just moved it around. You know? yeah. That's I, amazing. I don't think there's any Anything really original, almost in life, period. You know, everything else has been done at some point or another. Yeah, it's all synthesis. Yeah, so cultural 
whatever. Change the direction. You know, everybody's got two eyes. And the yeah. first one who uh, character has three is that the, the original one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got a ton of like key moments to talk about, but I also want to open up to you guys and women. So uh, if you do have questions, start you know, and then I'll even have, happy to take them now. I don't know. And if not, I'm ready to go to something. All right, gentlemen in the back. Yes, sir. Yeah, you Jedi. Loudly, please. Wow. I'll, I'll, I'll interpret it for you, too. All right, so with the advent of the Kree Scroll War, do you think Marvel Comics overall became more cosmic? I mean, Claremont was introduced from the Shi'ar into the X-Men. Yeah, do you think that basically your introduction of a larger cosmic scale with the Marvel Universe affected? I think it probably had some some influence, but on the other hand, you know, it was just continuing on the road that was already being taken. The, the Kree had just come in, that was opening things up, you had the scrolls already, and it was just, you know, you're looking for new material. Now once I did, suddenly somebody else can look at the Kree scroll war and say, I can take it one step further, or one step this way or that, and, or even not even think about the Kree scroll war, but just have his own ideas. It's just a natural evolution, you know, you have to... You know, take take something somewhere. I think it was influential, but if it hadn't happened, something else probably you know would have. And of course, that with the Kree Scroll War, I never want to mention it without saying that you know John Buscema, one of the best artists Absolutely. ever in comics, his brother Sal was pretty good too, and he okay. did the early issues where we established the Captain Marvel connection. But of course, you know, uh, as I would be the second to tell you, the important artist that came on the book, you know, that book was was Neil Adams, and he came on and took a, a step, you know, upward. And you know why I'm the second person to say that. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are mentioning the other. But I'm right. But I'm right. You know, and, and truly an epic, an epic story. And I'm glad you mentioned Gill as well. Um, you know, I, Jim, I want to get into the death of Captain Marvel. But before I do, who do you guys think were? And Jim, certainly your art was among those great cosmic artists and stuff. But who were who were the great Marvel cosmic artists that really understood the scope of of space? And, and well, sir, sir, of course. Yeah. 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 The name above the title, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but, you know, but yeah, but then as you say, Gil Kane and everything, but yeah, others beyond the greatness of Jack Kirby, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were beautiful jobs. Uh, yeah. Remember these other artists you've mentioned along the way? Uh, you know, the cosmic stuff, the space stuff. You get tired of robbing bank stories, and uh, I've got a bomb I'm going to blow up uh, the city sure. with. I mean, it was good to get out of uh, off Earth. Uh, we had the Silver Surfer who was stuck on Earth for the mm-hmm. longest time, and I think it was you finally freed him up. No, I don't know. I think it was later. Yeah, I think it was later. Yeah. Yeah, and so he, you know, he should have been out there from the beginning, but mm-hmm. you know, we just I well, Stan kind of wanted. To, I think Stan and you know wanted to keep him Earthbound. For a while, because you know, to keep it down there. But then on the walk, you know, but then as you start expanding, you just well, he's been on Earth for a long time. Maybe it's, it's time for him to go back into space. You know where he, he started. Has to and as far as if you're talking about cosmic people at Marvel, if the first person is Jack Kirby, the second most important one for the sake of uh, uh, you know of the history of it would be Jim. You know, really. I would agree, absolutely. I mean, with all due respect to John Dyson and Neil Adams and the rest, I mean, the next real step would, would be you. Yeah, but I wouldn't have been there without Steve Ditko yeah. and his Doctor Strange as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Doctor Strange, it isn't science fiction, but it has that same yeah, But, but it has that feel, and, I, and, I, and it, that right, thought right. occurred to me as well, yeah. because it was more the astral plane. But again, there is that kind of 
sci-fi kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, Jim's the guy that mixed them all up, though. He, by the time he was done, you couldn't tell what was magic and what was science. You know, and everything, you know? The rest of us had the compartments with Jim. It's like sort of a stew, you know. I hear you, man. Just because I have a hard time telling you what's real and what's not. You're in good company here. Jim, I remember when uh, The Death of Captain Marvel came out and it was this graphic novel event. And it really was. It was, I, I, and forgive me for making it a personal story, but man, you know, we had the direct market then, and it really did feel like an important book. And I know, obviously, uh, you talked about it last night, and if you don't mind today, talking about the, the personal side of, of the story as well. Okay, my own father had passed away a year before from cancer, so uh, it was percolating around inside me, and Jim Shooter asked me to kill off Captain Marvel because they didn't know what to do with him and they wanted to make him a woman. Sounded reasonable to me. Uh, so I came up with at least three or four plots before I finally settled on this one and they were all the standard hero dies in a blaze of glory at the end of it and I really didn't want to draw, have to draw those stories. And so somewhere along the line the connection was made uh, unlike when you were the editor, that Jim Shooter had a bunch of assistant editors. So I sent the plot in, and every one of the assistant editors loathed it. They simply hated it. And the only person who liked it up there was Shooter, and he gave me the green light, and I guess he made the right decision because it sold pretty well. Mm -hmm. Incredible book, absolutely. And um, I'm glad uh, we, we mentioned the fact that obviously then the powers turn to Ms. Marvel, who became, of course, currently Captain Marvel. And it's been a wonderful evolution of the character. Carol Danvers started in your hands, Roy. And, uh, and tell us about the, the beginnings of Carol Danvers. God, I hardly remember him. You know, Stan dumped this book in my lap. And uh, he was set at this place called the Cape, which, you know, we all knew was really the Cape Canaveral. And for some reason, Stan didn't want these exact names. It became the Cape and the guy in charge. You'd think he'd have to be called General something. He's the old man or something. I don't know why Stan had one of these vague names, but eventually. So, so I don't remember if Stan had vague, had the idea for a, you know, a woman head of security or for his mind or what. You know, we needed a woman there anyway. Uh, you know, at least one. We had Medic Una or Una or whatever it was on the space thing. And uh, so I just made up uh, a character to be the um, Thing. I don't even think she had a last name in the first issue. It was just Carol. When I finally had to have a name, I was looking for a last name, and somehow or other, I settled on Danvers, which only later I realized is also the last name of the, the adopted name of Supergirl. I think, by a weird of course, name. yes. I had no conscious memory of that, or I would definitely not have used that name. But it's just a last name anyway. And uh, she, she just became she was just an in and out character. I never thought of her as having any great uh, destiny. And the next thing you know, she became you know Ms. Ms. Uh, Marvel. What was the other name she had in between? That wasn't Nova, it was Binary. Binary, binary I forgot and now she's been promoted to Captain, so she'll be General Marvel, and, you know, and President Marvel and all that. Well, Kelly Sue DeConnick took the ball and ran with it and, and certainly, you know, created the, the modern Captain Marvel as, as Carol Danvers and stuff. But Jim, uh, a, a nice spin with a lot of your female creations. Nebula and, and Gamora. And I we, didn't create them. Forgive me, I, I thought you had. I think it was Mark Rumo or something. Oh, I see. A, a, I don't know what you did, Nebula. I, I was offended by the whole idea of Thanos having offspring. So as soon as I got a hold of her, I 
merciless. I'm really kind of embarrassed by the way I treated her at this point. But, uh, Decomposing alien. Yeah, so uh, well, I look back at that and I'm going, oh, this is trophic of me. Jeez. Oh, well, yeah, I, I, well, okay, I respect that, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, Gamora was around and uh, I did a lot with uh, Moon Dragon too. Indeed, Moon Dragon's a great character, absolutely. Yeah. Keep waiting for her to show up. Yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully. I'm yeah. hoping Pitt comes first. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. That sounds good. More, more uh, questions from the audience? Way in the back, sir. Or miss. Sir. Yeah, you, sir. Um, I'm just curious to, um, big fan of both your guys. I've been a huge fan for a long time with, um, from Mr. Sterling, with your creation of Thanos and everything like that. And I know uh, you learned a lot from uh, Jess Kirby, and he made Dark Side. What do you think? I want to hear from you who would win in a fight. Whoever strikes first. <laughs> Simple as that. Next question. Yes, sir. In the hat. Yep. Uh, yeah, I just have a question for Mr. Starlin. Um, what do you think about how Thanos was portrayed in Infinity War? I'm still having a little trouble with those pupils. <laughs> but, you know, um, they brought me down to the set before the movie came out. We talked things, and there was no surprises. I never expected to be a carbon copy of the book because half the characters aren't there in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think they just did a wonderful job. Uh, Josh Brolin, who was never on my radar as Thanos, uh, now I can't imagine anybody else doing him. Um, what can I tell you? Everybody here loved it, so why should I be any different? <laughs> and you were saying last night that he really loves the character. Yeah, he's allowed me to get into the Eternals movie. He, he wants to play Thanos again. <laughs> awesome. Don't you think they'll kill him off at some stage, Thanos? Well, he's already dead, so why, you know, why not? Yeah, well, we've got to get through this next movie. And we can't talk about what happens to him during that movie where the mouse comes along and breaks my knee out. <laughs> Question for Roy, speaking of the movies, since the new Captain Marvel movie is going to feature like Kreese Gold or background, have you been involved in they invite you to the set or anything like that at all? For the what, you mean the consult with me or something? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. No, no, I, they just, you know, they just, you know, they just take the stuff and do what they want to and send me a small check occasionally, you know, and I'm very happy, you know, I go see the movies and see what they do with them. Sometimes I like it. And sometimes I don't. Mostly I do. I mean, I mean, I, I may quibble with particular details, or you know, like some things more than others. Like the people. Like, yeah, right. See, see? You know, like when they did Ultron, who's uh, my favorite Avengers villain. Uh, you know, talk about that, right? he didn't look like uh, didn't look as much as I would have liked him to. Like you know, the version that I particularly had done in there, I would have liked that. But other than that, and the fact that you know I wasn't as wild about the plot, uh, some of the aspects of the plot, I didn't think I knew exactly what Ultron was trying to accomplish. But the the general feel of that Belden and the way uh, the writing and James Spader in the in, in the reading of the part was just you know to me you know. Flawless, you know, and everything. The only thing I don't like is thinking of as a minion of Thanos, but you know. But I guess everybody was a minion of Thanos. Even Loki was a minion of Thanos. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It was very funny when the first movie came out. I ran into Roy at a convention, 
And uh, you mentioned something about uh, Thanos at the end of the thing. I said, yeah, that's pretty cool. And you turned to me and you went very seriously. I'm pretty sure you weren't serious, but you went very seriously. It should have been all dry. <laughs> And the very next movie, it was I was probably serious, but not that I didn't think Thanos you know, also made a, a great film, but all, to me, Ultron uh, became sort of, you know, by accident, I mean, it wasn't intended to be my, my idea of, what, you know, of, a, of a good villain. But, you know, they were, they were both good, they both got their shot. Uh, in, in my case, I guess due to Joss Whedon, who particularly wanted to do it, I mean, there was nothing level about, yeah. about Ultron and, and even the vision, but especially Ultron being a part of the the second movie, and that was one of his conditions for doing it. Uh, who was the person who got Thanos star? Because that was started, was it also? Yeah, we didn't yeah, remember. Because it was before. Two and one man only threw it in. He just recently said he had no idea what he was going to do with Thanos. Mm-hmm. He said, had absolutely no concept of, I didn't, you know, I figured I'd work myself into a corner. Fortunately, he left the movies, and so right, the right, other guys, right. the yeah. Russians took care of it from there. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, we both hope we so, Yeah. So let us see who the... Uh, who, who's, who's left to be? Who will, if they do another Avengers movie after that, who will be the next big bad? The next big. Uh, the next yeah, big. Of course, Kang. Yeah, yeah Kang would be good. Absolutely. Because yeah, there aren't that many wonderful Avengers bills to be. Of course, that I haven't you know seen everyone. But and with yeah, time you're right. travel, so Kang would be great. He could be Doctor Doom, or he could not be Doctor Doom. Well, that's true. Yeah. But with time travel, you could even maybe go back to some of the great Golden Age characters, which would be oh, well, kind of interesting too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, I know. Roy and I did it once. Of course, yes. You didn't like the way they did Galactus in the cloud. I think you should find the same whatever the villain was for the Green Lantern movie. He was the same guy. The death of the two nebulous clouds to fight each other and produce a rainstorm. That's a really scary, puffy villain. Two mistakes of the same kind by in two different studios. Sponsored by the Weather Channel. Absolutely. Miss, in the back with the glasses. Yes, Miss. Okay. I love Infinity War, Mr. Charlotte. It's one of my favorite stories. And I just wanted to know why, when you split the gauntlet and gave everyone a gem, did you know who you wanted to give it to personally? Like, did you know? Yeah, I made those choices. <laughs> so somewhere along the line, I figured out I knew where I was going. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it, they were all characters that I had been associated with in the past, and uh, they were just people that I thought would work together interestingly because they wouldn't work together well. And, uh, you know, I just had to go somewhere with them, and so splitting them up uh, would seem like the best idea, and as you remember from the first issue, Warlock gives it away and then goes, you're on your own, and left. And so it was going to be a book that worked against expectations from the start. Sir? How did you end up with Warlock? Yes, I'm glad you asked that. Let's get into Warlock. Um, I had left Marvel and Captain Marvel and gone uh, over to DC for a while and came back and talked to this gentleman here one afternoon. And he said, why don't you go home and figure out what you want to do next? And I had a box of comics back in my apartment, and it was another beautiful Bill Kane design character. <laughs> so I went back there the next day, and you just told me to go at it. Yeah. And I sat down that night and drew the first page. Yeah, because the, uh, the Warlock, 
I, I, I would have, I wish I had, in, in my own way, I, I wanted to continue the version that Gil and I had done with the counter and kind of said, enjoyed it. But once I wasn't doing it anymore and it kind of ran out of steam, there, there was no sense in, you know, trying to perpetuate that if you had another idea. You know, the, I think the only thing I ever disagreed with was you wanted to take the lightning bolt off it. I got all the that, You know, as soon as possible, it was probably about three minutes after I left the editor in chief. I don't know if I let you do that. The second issue. Okay. But, you know, but it was really interesting because it was such a cosmic uh, thing. And I didn't have to wrestle with, uh, I'm going to have trouble with Stan over all this religious stuff he wants to do because I'm gone. Let, let, uh, let Barth Wolfman wrestle with <laughs> it. And you were so busy keeping, you know, getting used to their job and nobody paid Yeah, by the time Len got used to it, he's gone. And then Marv is in it, so you could sort of were on your own and everything. And eventually it became a real, you know, you know classic series of books. That are, I mean, it always was, it just took a while to wreck it. The interesting thing is, I know this for a fact that, uh, you know, and this is not to, to you because I've had worse sellers, but it wasn't even a good seller oh, the no, first no, time. No, right? Jerry Conway, when his, when he was in there for about three weeks as editor in chief, he told me that he looked up sales here, he'd sold less than Gola, which was a series that had followed. But it, but it doesn't matter because in the long run, it's been a huge hit. You know, because, you know, with all the reprintings and everything that's come out of it, and, you know, you can't, at one time, the only judgment we had was, what did it sell this month, and then they were on to the next, and if it didn't sell this month and this issue, it's a failure forever. Nowadays, you can look at the long picture and say Warlock, you know, was a, was a huge hit, and which do is you, nice. Do you remember why it eventually got canceled, though? I mean, no, I, I, I was going to that. But they ran out of paper in Canada from the company, and they had to... Canceled like three or four books <laughs> at the time. Uh, when was this, 70 what? I'm no good Okay, all right. Uh, but I remember War of the Worlds got canceled, uh-huh. Warlock got canceled, I'm sure Gollum must have been there too. Well, Gollum was gone long. Oh, maybe Gollum was gone, but uh, there was about three or four books that they canceled just because there was no paper to do. Uh, Probably read some of the invaders. You know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there you go. Jeez. I want to ask you guys about Epic Illustrated because when uh, beyond the and also the black and white period as well, the magazines because a lot of cosmic stuff. Star Lord came from the black and white magazines, of course, and and Epic Illustrated. I always thought was cool, and I don't know how much you guys contributed to uh, that portion of Marvel Cosmic, but I always thought that was really ambitious world building storytelling. Yeah. By yeah. Yeah. Archie was the editor and sort of a shooter who was yeah. who put Archie okay. into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure the story. No, I had stuff. I, I had stuff in it. I had uh, yeah. Well, I had an Elric yeah. adaptation in it, and then I did a four-part adaptation of Almeric, the novel by Robert E. Howard, which was sort of half Conan, half uh, John Carter of Mars. And cool. But but that was really my only. I never even tried to submit anything else to it. I okay. Yeah. And Dressar started in the first issue. Of course, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Just uh, 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 By the way, I would take this moment to shamelessly plug the fact that next year, about at this time, I will have a complete collection of all the dress star stories I ever drew. I was horrified to find out it's over 1,200 pages. Wow! <laughs> so next year at this time, I'm working through color corrections at this point. That's awesome, man. Honestly, I, I, again, a really significant period, that, that 80s black and white period and stuff was amazing. And I, I'd forgive me if it wasn't always black and white, but I was considered part of that era, Dreadstar and everything. And just a, yeah, was was really. Dreadstar in black and white partly, or was it all color? Uh, it started off in three sections of the Metamorphosis, obviously black and white. Archie needed color fill in because he wasn't enough pages, it became color. 
Then I did another black and white and uh, price. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I thought I remember some black and white. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. lot of black yeah. and white. And you right. stay that way when it comes out. Yeah. You don't want to feel like Colorado. You no, don't have to change no, your eyes. There you go. What it is. Yeah, keep it pure. Absolutely. Uh, because it went through all sorts of different stages. It was painted. Uh, we went up to ink. We had that hand separation stuff. Went over it first, where they had that experimental strange coloring thing. Yes. Uh, and so on. You know, so there was the anime. Yeah, so <laughs> all the different versions of it kind of a part of the whole strangeness. Of Absolutely. Yeah. No, no question. More, way in the back, sir, with the beer. We're on the uh, subject of uh, red stuff. What about the metamorphosis auction where all this kind of springs from? Infinity Horn, the battle between the Usarians and the Zygots, the fact that the Usarian created band, old band, or we would have pursued, never really truly really trust them. And then becomes a hero when they destroy after they destroy the Milky Way, and he goes off into another galaxy. I mean, it's kind of an interesting sort of you're building mythology there that haven't really been seen until Neil Gaiman started doing similar things with the American gods. So, what inspired you to do Metamorphosis Odyssey? What was the impetus? Is it so rich and it is philosophical? And it's uh, moral facets. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I like the applause for drugs. Very. Uh, no, no, no. Seriously, I, I, you know, it's just I like complicated stories. I like complicated characters. Uh, Batman's much more interesting to write than Superman. Uh, you know, the quirkier they are, the more interesting it is where you can take them. And Dreadstar was a guy who started off tremendous amount of guilt, uh, contradictory motivations as you go through. You know, his parents were killed by polar bears. In response, he decimates him, the entire population of polar bear cat on his planet before he's driven off. So it's not a, he's, he's not a hero, he's just a, a very tough guy with very complicated motivations. And uh, I just find him interested in doing that way. Okay, we got time for probably one more question. Sir, go ahead. Did the Red Star Saga have to come to a close when you secured you have 1,200 pages? Because I never followed it to the end. I yeah, we have a bit of a closing on a lot of the characters. Left some things open. Uh, Peter David did some writing on it afterwards, where uh, some of the core characters went off. Um, I'll be leaving it like that. Uh, we're probably not going to go into the Peter David stuff in this collection because legal complications. But basically, uh, a number of the characters like Ultraviolet, Syzygy, and a couple other ones came to the complete end of their story. So, uh, choosing this particular run will give it a nice ending to, it'll give it a, a, a package that feels like it's complete. So that's why I've chosen those. All right, Captain America, close us out. Are there any key characters or stories that you had thought about or developed at some point in your career as Warren, you know, uh, Marvel, Anywhere that you never got to do and you just wish you had done at some point. In my case, I'd like to write about 500 more issues of All Star Squadron and Big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> other, other, other than those three things, you know, I, I don't really 
think in those terms that much anymore. I just read history nowadays. <laughs> I had a submariner story I wanted to do for Marvel after 9-11, but it wasn't Patriot uh, enough, and so they just let me sit around for a year and a half and never improved it more. Man. Well, gentlemen, thank you for your world building. Thank you for your world building. Thank you for this great conversation. I was happy to be a client of the world. Thank you very much. cats up here. Unbelievable stuff. Roy Thomas and Jim Starling closing things out on today's Word Balloon. A great conversation about a lot of science fiction work that came out of Marvel. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode was brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Shaking things up at your local comic shop right now with hit series like Animosity by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael De La Tour, Baby Teeth with Donny Cates and Gary Brown, and A Walk Through Hell by Garth Ennis and Goran Satsuka. Check out what's rumbling now and how to order your favorite books from your local comic shop at AfterShotComics.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. Uh, Great stuff still to come. Can I tell you who's already in the can and uh, can't wait to share with you coming up? How about Alex Ross? How about Ben Blacker is back to talk not only about some new comic book projects he has at Vertigo and at Marvel, but also a look at what's going on in the television world right now. Uh, Our dear friend Ashley Robinson is back to talk about a new Kickstarter that she and Jason Inman have uh, working, a new book called Science, kind of a uh, Starfleet Academy, Harry Potter sort of pastiche. I'll let her explain when you hear that episode. But uh, Brian Hitch is coming up. Yeah, Brian Hitch. How about that, man? Unbelievable conversation. In fact, that's the next episode of Word Balloon. Stay tuned for that. That's going to be great. Uh, We talk about the Ultimates line. And not only that, but uh, lots of other great things. Of course, Brian is kicking it on uh, Hawkman right now for DC. He's got some amazing plans for DC in the future. And uh, we also talk about his storyboard work on, of all things, Doctor Who and Star Trek. Who the hell knew? I didn't know. He worked on the J.J. Abrams movie. Did you know that? He also worked on Doctor Who in its first season with Chris Eccleston and uh, produced by Russell T. Davies. I didn't know that. Well, now I'll share those stories with you and Brian Hitch on the next episode of Ford Balloon. I hope you'll join me. Uh, Lots of really great uh, characters. Uh, Well, they are characters. They're creators, but they are characters. And you know from their conversations here on Word Balloon. Some old-time favorites are coming back, some uh, great new people as well. And uh, very, very excited about what I have for you in store for the rest of September going into October. And we still have Terrificon panels to release. Man! I am, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches as far as conversations here at Word Balloon. Really happy to share them with you. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.